Pastor Tom Keller helped sort out this important personal matter. Do you seek the approval of man or do you seek the approval of God? How can you tell which category you're in? It's really pretty simple. Are you controlled by what people think about you? Are you controlled by what people say about you? Young people especially. Listen, young people. Does social media affect the way you see yourself? The solution is really pretty simple. In principle, we need to learn to care only about what God thinks about you. Train yourself to see yourself through God's eyes and no one else's. Thanks for joining us for Study the Word with our Bible teacher, Pastor Tom Keller. We're finishing chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. Today we learn there were religious leaders who actually believed in Jesus, but they were afraid to confess him publicly for fear they would be excommunicated, put out of the synagogue. They loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Pastor Tom discusses this and more as together we study the Word. Verse 41. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Do you remember when Isaiah was given this vision of God's glory? It's in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord Isaiah speaking. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, angels, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed. For I'm a sinful man, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then I believe Isaiah sees Jesus a few verses later in verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to go to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, this is the context of what Jesus said in in John. Yes, go and say to the people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. And then this message of Isaiah goes on. And I believe in some respects, this same message applies to the Jews even today. Listen to this. Isaiah 6, 11, Then the Lord said, How long will this go on? The hardness, the blindness, the deafness. And he replied, Until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, until the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a tebrinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, 
so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. And that's true. In the end times, we read about this in Zechariah 12. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. And this, I think, refers to after the rapture and after the battle of Gog and Magog, God is going to supernaturally deliver Israel from the hand of the ruler of Russia when he drops down from Gog. And the vast host of Muslim armies that are going to join him in his attempted war against Israel. Zechariah 12, verse 9 says this, For on that day I will begin to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. And God does. He does this supernaturally. Speaking of this ruler from the north, this ruler of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Are you the one I was talking about long ago? This is speaking of the leader of Russia. The one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I would bring you against my people. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. And then a few verses later, verse 21, it says this. I will summon the sword against you on all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. This is the leader of Russia and all the Muslim nations that surround Israel, most of the Muslim nations that surround Israel. They will come together. Verse 22, I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Now think of the context of this. In the context of this huge battle, God says, I will make myself known to all the nations of the world, and they will know that I am the Lord. And so by the way of the world observing these Jews being supernaturally delivered by God in this battle of Gog and Magog, where we're told that 85% of this probably multi-million army that comes against them, Israel won't shoot a cannon, a gun, a rocket, a pistol, nothing. God will kill 85% of this horde of armies that come against them. And as a result of that, the Jews are going to have worldwide supernatural favor before the nations. In fact, to this extent, Zechariah 8.23 says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, in those days, 10 men from 10 different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew, and they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And due to this worldwide favor, 85% of these armies being destroyed by God, it will allow the Antichrist, I believe, to force the hand of the Muslims to allow the Jews to build their temple once again on the Temple Mount. And this all ties in back to what Isaiah said in chapter 6, verse 11. And the Lord, I said, Lord, how long will this go on? He replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. But God's promise remains to the Jews. Two verses later, verse 13. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, 
it will be invaded again and burned. But as a tebrinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it was cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Out of that stump will come a holy people eventually. And we read of this wholesale turning of the Jews, this stump coming to Christ during the seven years of tribulation. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, God says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David, on the Jews, and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Jesus is saying they will look on Jesus whom they will realize they pierced, they killed on the cross, and mourn for him as for an only son. The veil will come off their eyes. They will all realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And they will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. But the Antichrist institutes a program against the Jews and murders two-thirds of the Jews in the end times. Zechariah 13, verse 8 and 9, two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land. I will bring that group, the one-third, through the fire, and I will make them pure. I will refine them like silver, purify them like gold. They will call on my name, on the name of Jesus, and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. And Paul confirms this in Romans 11, that the remaining one-third Jews will all be saved by the end of the seven years. Paul says, and so all Israel will be saved through Jesus. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. So some of what Isaiah was referring to. And although verse 37 says that most of the people did not believe in Jesus, interestingly, verse 42 says many did believe. It says, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. We spoke about this excommunication a few weeks ago, but some of you may not have been here. I think it's worth hearing again. Commentator Gill says, quote, these curses are found in an ancient Hebrew manuscript and are dreadful and shocking. This is the actual curse pronounced over one being excommunicated. This is what they said as they kicked him out of the synagogue. Let great and real stripes be upon him and many and violent diseases and let his house be inhabitation of dragons and let his star be dark in the clouds and let him be for indignation, wrath, and anger. And let his carcass, let his body be for beasts and for serpents And let those who rise up against him and his enemies rejoice over him. And let his silver and gold be given to others. And let all his children be exposed at the gate of his enemies. And let him be cursed from the mouth of Michael and Gabriel, the angels. And let him be swallowed up as Korah and his company with terror and trembling. And let his soul go out. Let the reproof of the Lord kill him. And let him be strangled as Ahithophel in his counsel, and let his leprosy be as the leprosy of Gehazi, and let there be no raising him up from his fall, and in the tombs of Israel let not his grave be, let his wife be given to another, and let others take advantage of his wife upon his death. Wow. 
That's some curse. But on top of that, on top of that fear of that curse, John says that another reason, maybe even a more primary reason for these religious leaders not believing was not just because of the curse, but also because of the praise of man they would forfeit by doing so. It says, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So we'll look at this a bit more as we close this morning. But in John 12, 44, Jesus shouts to the crowds. Picture him in the temple. The temple's packed with Passover visitors. He stands up and shouts out, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. These are powerful words. In verse 44, Jesus says, to trust me is to trust God. In verse 45, Jesus says, to see me is to see God. You know, many people, in fact, I would venture to say most people, have two very different pictures in their mind when they picture Jesus versus picturing God. I would suspect many of us, when we picture Jesus, we picture a kind, loving, gentle man holding children, compassionate, always loving, always having time for us. But God is a kind of different picture. I tend to think of him high and lifted up, a bit of a a cloudy mirror uh, to see through, not being able to see clearly. I picture him being stern, serious, big, really big, really big, maybe with a set of scales in his one hand and looking at me like this. But the truth is, what Jesus says here is that Jesus and God are identical. They're identical. They're identical in personality. They're identical in their love for you. They're identical in their compassion for you. And if you think about it, we've only been given the opportunity to see what Jesus looks like in the Gospels. And yet, if we see him in the Gospels, we also see God. Because Jesus said, quote, when you see me, you are seeing God. And John 14 says this. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and that you have not yet known me, Philip? You know, he could say this to me. Tom, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Tom, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Tom, how can you say, I want to see God? You've seen me. Haven't you seen me? Yes. And you've seen the Father. So try to change your picture of God to line up with what Jesus says, is if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus adds these, verse, these words in verse 46. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Now, a question, can God's perspective on any issue be wrong? Of course not. So then note that God says that without the light of Jesus in this world, it is a dark world. Do you know that's true? I lived in that dark world. Some of you lived in that dark world. And the Bible says that can be a very, very dark place. 
John 11 verse 10 confirms that. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Isaiah 59.10, we grope like the blind man along a wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. Even at brightest noontime, we stumble as though it were dark. This is a world without Jesus. Among the living, we are like the dead. And then in verse 46, Jesus gives us the answer to this stumbling in the dark. He says, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And Jesus promises to protect believers from stumbling in that dark once we believe. Psalm 121, verse 3, he will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber, will not sleep. Psalm 66, 9, our lives are in his hands and he keeps our feet from stumbling. Psalm 18, 36, you have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. And how does God do this? How does he deliver us from stumbling, preventing that? The word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As we follow the word of God, we keep walking in the light. And then Jesus says that his purpose during his three years was not to judge. John 12, 47, Jesus speaking. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I've come to save the world, not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak in my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his command leads to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Looking at verse 47 by itself, I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I've come to save the world and not to judge it. Does this strike anyone as being just a bit odd? considering that Jesus also said this, but he has given all judgment to the Son? Because he says, if you, can hear, if you hear me and don't obey me, I am not your judge. In chapter 3, verse 17, speaking to Nicodemus, he said virtually the same thing. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. But there will come a day and an hour when Jesus will judge both the living and the dead. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. And Jesus points to this ultimate judgment of both the lost and the saved, I believe, in the story of the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25 verse 31 Jesus speaking, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glory's throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost. And then looking at verse 46, it says, and they will go away into eternal punishment, the goats, but the righteous, the sheep, will go into eternal life. So that day of judgment is coming, but it's not now. 
You know, I've said this before, we only will ever see one of two sides of Jesus, his mercy or his wrath. Because he said, I don't come to judge you now. Every person on the face of this earth only sees God's mercy because they have an opportunity to turn. But once they die, again, they will only ever see his mercy or his wrath. An unsaved person at the point of death will know nothing except the wrath of God. The saved person at the point of death will never see the wrath of God, will only ever see the mercy of God. You are, will be in one of those two categories. So how does today's lesson apply to me? John 12, verse 43. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Do you seek the approval of man or do you seek the approval of God? How can you tell which category you're in? It's really pretty simple. Are you controlled by what people think about you? Are you controlled by what people say about you? Young people especially. Listen, young people. Does social media affect the way you see yourself? Does social media affect how you feel about yourself? If that is true, then you are bowing down to your friends. You are falling face down and worshiping their opinion of you, trying to earn their approval. The solution is really pretty simple. In principle, we need to learn to care only about what God thinks about you, only what he thinks about you. Train yourself to see yourself through God's eyes and no one else's. Earlier in my career, there was an older gentleman that, that really criticized me. He was very hard on me, uh, almost at every opportunity. I remember one time he said something to me straight to my face, and he could tell that it really hurt me. And he said, listen, you should be glad I come to your face. Some people would stab you in the back. I come right to your face and tell you. And as he said that, I was pulling the sword out of my chest because he didn't stick me in the back. But I ran across this clip. And if you're in this category, if there are people that criticize you, if there are people that uh, have you in that place where they put you down, they don't believe in you, maybe there's, it could be from a lot of different sources. This is a little clip written by Theodore Roosevelt. Listen to this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit instead belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is not effort without error and shortcomings. But the one who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumphs of high achievements, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Folks, you learn to care for the opinion of one, and that's it. You be controlled by Jesus and let him take care of everything else. 
Is that fair? Thanks for joining us today for Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller. Hear these studies from the Gospel of John again at ccleb.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. If you'd rather have a CD copy, call 717-273-5633. If you find these studies helpful to your walk with Christ, we'd like to know. It'd be so encouraging to Pastor Tom and all of us at Study the Word. Give us a call at 717-273-5633 or write to Study the Word, 740 Willow Street, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, 17046. You can also email us through the website at ccleb.com. Study the Word is made possible through the support of our listeners. Large or small, your gifts help to make these programs possible on stations all across the nation. So thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. You can give online at ccleb.com or call 717-273-5633. We hope you'll visit us sometime here at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. For our service times and more information, go online to ccleb.com. Be sure to introduce yourself after service as a radio listener. That would put a smile on our face. You can also watch our live stream there at ccleb.com or on our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. May God richly bless you as you study the Word. Come back next time when we'll pick up where we left off in John's Gospel as we continue to study the Word. (music) 